love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Victorian has become a byword for prim, proper, and prudish. For decades, if anyone dared to think of Queen Victoria in the context of the bedroom, it was lying back and thinking of England while she conceived her nine children. That saying, by the way, originated in the 1912 journals of Lady Alice Marion Mills, who did not find much pleasure in her marriage to Tory MP Baron Hillingdon. Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert, carefully crafted their public images of moral perfection after her hedonist uncles George IV and William IV brought the monarchy to the depths of unpopularity. The couple's pristine portrayal was protected in death by their youngest daughter, Beatrice. She transcribed a lifetime's worth of the Queen's journals, editing out any unsaintly bits and burning the originals. Victoria's reputation was solidified for decades, until her correspondence were published, painting her as a more complete person, who through temper tantrums, bullied her children, and occasionally roared with laughter. It was also discovered that she very much enjoyed conceiving those nine children. She loved romping in the bedroom with Albert. Recent portrayals in the film The Young Victoria and the series Victoria have painted the queen and prince in a more romantic, sexier light. But what I found most interesting in researching this video were the revelations about Prince Albert, that his mother's banishment and early death made him pathologically terrified of immorality, that, very unusually for a man of his time, he is believed to have been a virgin on his wedding night and to have remained faithful to Victoria throughout his life and that he might really have sported that infamous piercing, which still bears his name. And now, without further ado... Victoria and Albert, A Royal Love Story The romance between Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert, is one of the greatest love stories in history. After centuries of arranged and often miserable marriages, this couple found solace and comfort in each other and prioritized their happy family and domestic bliss, even over the power of the British Empire. Victoria was born on May 24, 1819. She was the only surviving child of her generation and the singular hope for the future of the British monarchy. Her father died when she was just seven months old, and she was raised by her mother and her ambitious secretary, John Conroy, in a cold and loveless environment. She was isolated from her family and from other children, turning to her dolls and her beloved dog Dash for companionship. Her mother, Princess Victoria of saxe coburg zofeld had a brother by the name of Duke Ernst I. Ernst fathered a son who was born just two months after the future Queen Victoria. 
His name was Albert, and the two baby cousins were delivered by the same midwife, Charlotte von Siebold. Albert grew up in Germany and had a close relationship with his elder brother Ernst. Their parents, however, had a tumultuous marriage. Their mother Louise left their father for her lover. She was exiled from court and never saw her children again. She died of cancer at the age of 30. Despite this family tragedy, Albert and his brother had a relatively stable and happy childhood, thanks largely to the influence of their tutor. Albert attended the University of Bonn, where he studied law, politics, economics, philosophy, and art. He played music and excelled at sport, especially fencing and riding. As Victoria grew into a young woman, another of her mother's brothers, King Leopold of Belgium, was keen for her to marry his nephew, Prince Albert. He arranged for Albert to travel to England and meet the 17-year-old future queen. Victoria wrote in her diary after first meeting Albert, He is extremely handsome. His hair is about the same color as mine. His eyes are large and blue. He has a beautiful nose and a very sweet mouth with fine teeth. But the charm of his countenance is his expression, which is most delightful. Victoria's paternal uncle, King William IV of the UK, did not approve of his heir making further ties with her maternal family and put forth his own candidate, Prince Alexander of the Netherlands. But the princess was unimpressed with Alexander and wrote that she found him very plain. Victoria wrote to her uncle Leopold, thanking him for the prospect of great happiness you give me in the person of dear Albert. He possesses every quality that could be desired to render me perfectly happy. He is so sensible, so kind, and so good and so amiable too. He has besides the most pleasing and delightful exterior and appearance you could possibly see. Victoria turned 18 in 1837. Less than a month later, William IV died at the age of 71, making Victoria Queen of the United Kingdom. She continued her correspondence with Albert, but remained focused on her new and overwhelming duties as Queen for the next two years. But in 1839, she invited Albert to England for another visit. By this time, the 20-year-old Queen had decided that she was ready for marriage. She had to propose to Albert, as it would have been improper for a man to ask for a monarch's hand in marriage. The match was not popular among the British people, as Saxe-Coburg and Gotha was an unimportant and impoverished minor state. Their marriage and Albert's position were hotly debated in Parliament, but Victoria got her way and the couple were wed on February 10, 1840 in the Chapel Royal of St. James Palace, London. At her wedding, Victoria began the tradition of brides wearing white. Before this, women wore their best dress, whatever the color. She wrote in her diary of their wedding night, I never, never spent such an evening. My dearest, dearest, dear Albert, his excessive love and affection gave me feelings of heavenly love and happiness. I never could have hoped to have felt before. He clasped me in his arms and we kissed each other again and again. His beauty, his sweetness and gentleness. Really, how can I ever be thankful enough to have such a husband? Oh, to be called by names of tenderness I have never yet heard used to me before. What bliss beyond belief. Oh, this is the happiest day of my life. 
Queen Victoria, though famously prudish in her later years, greatly enjoyed sex and had a grand appetite for it. During their honeymoon at Windsor Castle, she wrote that we did not sleep much. It has long been purported that Prince Albert had a certain <clears throat> piercing known at the time as a dressing ring, which was designed to keep any vulgar bulges hooked to one side and out of the way when wearing fashionably tight pants. This particular piercing is to this day called a Prince Albert. But whether Victoria's new husband really sported one is a question that history has not answered. Albert had no lovers as a young man and came to Victoria a virgin. And in a time when upper-class men often had as many mistresses as pocket watches, he was faithful to her his entire life. So there are no other ladies who could tattle. And the queen kept mum on the subject. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. The young couple were very much in love. Albert was a steadying force to the often hot-tempered and moody queen. Victoria found in Albert the love and caring she had been denied as a child, and that she so desperately needed. And Albert found in Victoria a chance to rewrite the disaster of his own parents' marriage, and create the harmonious family life he had always craved. Albert became the Queen's closest advisor, persuading her to be less partisan in her dealings with Parliament, thus aiding the development of Britain's constitutional monarchy. Through Albert's mediation, the relationship between Victoria and her mother slowly improved. But what should Albert be called? Mary I had been happy to allow her husband, the King of Spain, the title of King of England, and that had been a disaster. Elizabeth I refused to marry rather than share the crown. Mary II's husband had been a co-ruling king, and Anne had kept her husband as far away from the throne as possible. Victoria loved and trusted Albert, and she might have let him be King Albert I, but the people didn't trust the foreign prince. For the first 17 years of their marriage, he was titled His Royal Highness Prince Albert, until 1857 when Victoria, tired of waiting for Parliament to do it, formally granted him the title of Prince Consort. In 1840, while pregnant with their first child, a man fired two shots at her while she and Albert were riding in an open carriage. But luckily, both shots missed the couple. Victoria gave birth to their first child, a daughter whom she named Victoria. Eight more children followed. Edward, nicknamed Bertie after his father, Alice, Alfred, Helena, Louise, Arthur, Leopold, and Beatrice. 
If you would like to know more about Victoria's nine children and 42 grandchildren, check out the videos about them on my channel. Albert was an especially doting father, while Victoria was a bit more icy, not having had a very good example of how to be a loving mother. She did not enjoy being pregnant and hated giving birth. She refused to breastfeed, which was becoming more popular among the upper class. Victoria likely suffered from postpartum depression after the births of her children. When advised by her doctors to avoid sex so as to prevent further pregnancies from deteriorating her health, Victoria was dismayed. Victoria and Albert had a remarkably close and loving family for their time and position. Albert introduced the Christmas tree, a German tradition, to the family and to Britain at large. He designed and built their family retreats, Osborne House on the Isle of Wight and Balmoral Castle in Scotland. He wanted places to raise their children away from the demands of court. At Osborne, he built a Swiss cottage where the children learned practical skills like cooking and carpentry. Albert also oversaw their education, which was robust in history, politics, literature, and languages. Victoria recognized that her traditionally female education had ill-prepared her for the demands of government affairs. So the royal couple decided that all of their offspring, male and female, would receive a well-rounded education. Albert had a good head for finance and did an excellent job reforming the royal pocketbook. He discovered numerous insufficiencies in the way the palace was run and dozens of people on staff who were paid for doing useless things, such as setting a banquet table every night for King George, who had long been dead. Albert got Victoria in the black and secured the wealth of future generations of the British royals. In 1861, Victoria's mother died with the queen by her side. During Victoria's intense grief, Albert took over most of her royal duties. The prince consort threw himself into everything he did, so much so that he wore himself down. In November, he heard a rumor that their eldest son, Bertie, had been sleeping with an actress. Appalled, Albert traveled to Cambridge, where Bertie was studying to reprimand him. By December, Albert was gravely ill. He died, most likely of typhoid fever, at the age of 42. Victoria and most of their children were by his side at the end. The queen was devastated and spent the rest of her life in mourning. She popularized many mourning practices, including wearing black and keeping locks of the deceased's hair as mementos. She insisted that Albert's room be left exactly as it had been, and fresh clothes were laid out for him each day. Victoria wrote of her darling husband, He was my father, protector, my guide and advisor in all and everything. My mother, I might almost say, as well as my husband. The Queen avoided public appearances and rarely set foot in London in the following years. Her seclusion earned her the nickname, The Widow of Windsor. She dealt with her depression by comfort eating and her weight increased dramatically, adding to her aversion to public appearances. She spent most of her time at Windsor Castle, where Albert was buried, and at Osborne House and Balmoral Castle, where she claimed she could still feel her darling Albert's presence in the houses he had so lovingly designed for their family. Victoria lived another 40 years, never considering remarriage, though she was especially close to two male servants. Scotsman John Brown was her dedicated companion and confidant for two decades. 
He spoke bluntly to the queen rather than flattering her as others did, and he was able to coax her out of her depressions. The true nature of their relationship is a subject of great speculation. There were even rumors that the pair were secretly wed, but little evidence has been found to support this. When John Brown died in 1883, the queen was distraught. She had a statue of him erected at Balmoral near the monument of her husband. Some years later, Victoria promoted an Indian Muslim waiter, Abdul Karim, to be her munshi, or teacher, educating her in the Urdu language. Her family and advisors complained that Abdul occupied much the same position as John Brown, but she dismissed their criticism as prejudice. Abdul remained by Victoria's side until her death, after which he returned to India with a royal pension. While staying at Osborne House during the Christmas season, 81-year-old Victoria began to feel weak and unwell. Her family was called to her side to say farewell. She died on January 22, 1901, surrounded by her children and grandchildren. Victoria was dressed in white and her wedding veil was placed on her head. Per the Queen's request, one of Prince Albert's dressing gowns was placed by her side, along with a plaster cast of his hand. After a state funeral, she was laid to rest next to her beloved Albert in the Frogmore Mausoleum at Windsor, the beloved couple finally together again. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.